Well, good morning, church, and those joining online. Grateful for Jay's testimony. Each week throughout this fall, we're going to have someone sharing their testimony. Destiny will be sharing her testimony next week. So we encourage you to be here to hear her story. And so we'll continue to go through that. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. That's where we're going to be. It's where we're going to be all fall. Uh, this morning, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't know where that's at in your Bible, go to the very end, start backing up, and you'll find it pretty quick. Um, and uh, go to the second chapter, and that's where we'll be, we'll be landing. Our series that we're in is called, titled Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Maybe you're joining online or you're here, and maybe you haven't considered who Jesus is, who God is. Maybe you have and have decided, no, nah, I tried that, and he really didn't help me in the way I wanted. Maybe you're currently considering whether this thing called Jesus and Christianity, which is Jesus Christ, as little Christ is what Christianity means. Maybe you're struggling with that. The book of Hebrews is a book that was written to God's people. It was written to people who said they believed in God, that had the Old Testament. It was people that said they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one that was going to come and be their savior, but they were struggling. They were struggling to keep going. They were struggling, and here's what was happening. They had stopped considering Jesus in certain parts of their life. They had kind of set him aside and been like, well, yeah, he was the Messiah, he's great, but they weren't fully giving him control. And this book is written saying, hey, you've stopped considering what the relationship that you have with Jesus and the relationship that you have with the Heavenly Father because of Jesus and the Heavenly Family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've stopped considering and you need to consider very carefully who he is and what he's done. And that passage in 3.1 is that theme passage that we looked at. And last week, we looked at the idea of attention drift. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says that, we, need to, we must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. And last week we talked about how our attention, and especially in this culture, we have no attention span, right? It's one minute videos. And, and, and if the person doing the video isn't keeping our attention by doing crazy stuff, then we're on to the next thing. That, that we have an enemy that, is, that has kept us from, from sitting with God. From, from allowing God to have our attention. Like Jay said, most people don't even know how to have a quiet time, how to sit with God and listen to him and talk to him because they've been so busy and running their whole life, they don't know how to just stop. I mean, God says, cease striving and know that I'm God in the word. And it's like, cease striving, that panics me. I get afraid, I don't know what to do. And so last week we looked at this idea of that it's so easy for us to start to drift when our attention gets off of Jesus and gets off of his church and gets off of the things he wants and to go somewhere else. Let me ask you this this morning. What's tomorrow? What's tomorrow? Your attention's drifted. Your attention's drifted. Tomorrow is Rosh Hashanah. It's the highest holy new year of the Old Testament. People don't even know that who are Christians anymore. We don't even realize that we don't even think biblically anymore about our calendar, about our lives, about the things around us. It's not wrong to think about Labor Day, but you realize that Rosh Hashanah is Labor Day. Like you weren't allowed to work for two days. 
And then that led into the days of awe, which were days of repentance, where the people of God would come together to to hold one another accountable and encourage one another to repent because God was going to sacrifice Yom Kippur, offer a sacrifice to cover our sins. And then after Yom Kippur, there was going to be a celebration where we'd build these temporary tents and we'd all go camping together. Literally, they built these booze and they would go eat in them and they cut a hole in the top and it was to symbolize God because of our desire to say, you're everything. We're going to order our lives according to your calendar. We're going to confess our sins and you're going to die for us. You're going to sac- you're going to give everything for us. We're inviting you to eat at our table because we're ready. We've considered you and we've made ourselves ready to be with you. And yet we're just looking for Labor Day, a day off. Oh, and by the way, Labor Day isn't Labor Day. You know how many people are working tomorrow? It's a joke. Just like in the Old Testament, they were supposed to take a day of rest, and it became a joke because there's always profit to be made when people are resting. There's always something to sell them. There's always some goods to give them. And the God's people stopped knowing how to rest. They had to keep busy, had to keep making money, had to keep making things work. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today because we are because our attention has drifted then the question becomes this will you trust him that's what we're going to look at this morning will you trust him because to trust him means he's got your attention and you're actually going to do what he says to trust him means if he has your attention then you know the word and that when you think about what tomorrow means and what the days after that means it reminds you of Jesus that when Jesus came the angels announced that the horns were blown and he came in and when he comes again someday the Bible says it says the shofars and the horns will announce his coming and he will come again. And there will be days of awe when he comes and he will ask people to repent. It'll be the end. He, And then he will establish his kingdom. He will remind us that he was the lamb that was slain and he will open up his banquet table for all of us to eat again. And people don't even know that that's what the Old Testament's about or that's what's going to happen in the future. So instead, our attention gets distracted and here's what happens. We're focused on the here and now, right now, me, mine, and we start trusting in what we can see, what we can touch, all those things instead of trusting in thousands of years of history and all of eternity that stares us in the face and the book of Hebrews is written to that group of people who should have known it was Rosh Hashanah not Labor Day (laughs) it was written to that group of people to say you've got to learn to get your attention back on the things of God because there's a world around you that's stealing it and you've got to learn to trust him and trust me it's hard. The book of Hebrews is that we're going to read this morning is a book that talks about how hard it is to trust the Lord in the world we live in It's difficult, but God encourages us to say it's worth it. In Hebrews 2, 2, 1, it says, in verse 2, after the first verse, it says, For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's the prophets. That's all the Bible. That's who heard him and they wrote it down. At the same time, God also testified by signs, wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. You have a book, if you're sitting there or you're on your phone, you have 
something that fulfills all of this. That God spoke, he gave a message, he sent angels to speak, people were heard from God, they wrote it down, they were tested to be sure they weren't crazy, that their words really were from God, that it matched up with who God was and his character. That's why we have the Bible. God made signs and wonders. He's still doing signs and wonders. You realize our galaxy is like flying through space, right? Like it could literally collide with another galaxy at any minute. And we'd be done. Nothing you can do about it. I mean, we are so insignificant. And when you look at the vastness of creation, it's, it's a wonder. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that any of us are still alive. Forget COVID. You know many other diseases that are out there that can kill you? If you've lived past your infancy, you're, you're a miracle in human history. Because it's a dangerous world that we live in. And God is speaking, and he said, look, the author of Hebrews, God told him to write this, and when he wrote it, he's saying, how will you escape after all that Jesus has done that we looked at in the first chapter of Hebrews, after all that he's given his life for, that he created the world for mankind to have a relationship with him, and we rejected him, and then he reestablished that. If you reject that, there's no hope for you. There's just no hope. And he goes on and he says, God has testified in every way possible to get your attention and to say, please trust me. I am the only being that can step out of the natural order and make miracles happen. (laughs) I'm over creation so I can make gravity not work. And Jesus can walk on water. Now we can see that in the movies, right? And we can think that that's possible. It's not. Jesus didn't try to go really fast so he could walk on water. It said that there was a storm when he came walking. Like, he just said, okay, I'm going to subvert creation for a moment. Because he can. He did everything he could. And here's the best part. Are you ready for this? I told you we'd talk about this last week. It says, he had distributions of gift, gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. See, we want according to our will. We will search the scriptures for our will, and then we will declare to others when we find it. We will say, this is what I want, God. We'll go through the scriptures. We'll ask pastors. We'll ask Christian friends. We'll ask everybody we can. Do you know any verses on this? We'll search on Google. Verses on ice cream. Verses on, like, we want verses on the love of your life. Verses on the major you want. Like, we will type these things into our phone, find verses, and then go try to convince other people that God told us. No, Google told you. It doesn't mean the verse isn't right or true. It's just, are you trusting in him? Or are you trusting in a preconceived expectation and answer you already had? And you're trying to slap him on top of it. And say, see, Jesus Jesus told me, here's here's a Bible verse. I see that happen all the time. And God's like, I just want to know you. And I want to know you so much that if you trust me, if you surrender your life to me, I will distribute to you and to the body of Christ and the church around you gifts, abilities, things that are only you can do that you're designed to do that are from the Holy Spirit himself to serve the body. To have an impact for Jesus. I will will distribute to you gifts according to his will. 
Not the will you want. You know, I've always wanted the gift of healing. I think it would be cool to go to the hospital and just walk around beds, knock on doors and be like, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And I, I've always thought that if I could do that, more people would believe in Jesus, right? Like if I could go to the hospital and just walk around and heal everybody and then say, it was Jesus that healed you, not me. It was Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. I could probably get people all to believe in Jesus until they got sick again and died. Well, there must be a different God because Jesus healed me the first time, but second time he let me go. It says, according to whose will? My will that I just get to walk through the hospital and heal people so I can show off and show Jesus off? Or do I pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my gifts? How do you want me to use them? How do you want me to not use them sometimes? Jesus sometimes didn't heal people. You realize that, right? He didn't heal everyone. That kind of probably ticked people off. When you're like, well, you healed him. What about me? No. I'm asking you to trust me without a healing. That's not fair. I'm God. I'm asking you to walk with me and to trust me. To trust me that I'll heal you someday, just not right now. Because that's what the Bible story is about. That God will give us all the blessings, just not right now. And for some people he gives some, and for some people he gives others. And let me tell you, the reason we don't trust him most of the time is because we can't stand what others are getting and what we're not. Or we're so proud about what we've gotten and how we've gotten it, we can't stand other people. And we put it on them that if you were like me and so spiritual like me, and, and then it would look like you really trust him like I do. And it's just pride. Let's look at the Holy Spirit for a minute. So what do these gifts of the Holy Spirit look like? See, if you trust God, he doesn't need to do any more for you. But look, when you come to know Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the believer. That in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit used to be in the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus died, we have in the New Testament the story of the curtain ripping in two. And, and his spirit was unleashed from the Holy of Holies, the, the place of perfect holiness and purification. When that happened, Jesus said he was going to give us new hearts and he was going to place the Spirit in us to do his work of purifying us, of, of sacrificing our hearts, of, of dying to ourselves like the sacrifices that died in the temple to do that so that he could show his Shekinah glory, his awesome glory to the world. And how we respond to that Holy Spirit is a huge indicator of our trust. Look at John 14 and what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you love me, he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to believers at this point. He says, if you love me, if you're a believer in me, you will keep my commands. Most Christians spend most of their time trying to convince lost people to be obedient who can't be obedient without the Holy Spirit, and they can't get the Holy Spirit without accepting Jesus and surrendering to him. And we get mad when lost people are disobedient. How dare you act that way? Well, do they know Jesus? No. I'm surprised they're not killing people. <laughs> I'm surprised they're not worse than they are. It's a miracle of God that they're not horrible, kill whatever you want, get whatever you want people. That's a miracle. He goes on and he says, if you love me, You'll want to be with me. You'll want to obey me. you want to know what I have to say. You'll want to be near me. He goes, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. If you love me and you're struggling to obey, which you will, it'll be a problem. What I'll do is I'm going to actually send the Holy Spirit to counsel you. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you love going to a counselor? Like, 
Like you think of going to counseling as one of the best things you can do for your life. To sit and have someone ask you questions and to pry into your life. And like we go to counseling because we have to in our culture. God says I'm sending you a counselor because I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I want you to move forward in your life and he's going to be with you forever. I'm never going to take my presence away from you. That I'm always available. That is amazing because the presence was in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. And they could, the high priest could only go in one time a year at Yom Kippur and offer the sacrifices. That's all, that's all he could do. And God's like, I tore that away so that I can be with you forever. And I'm actually going to send my power. Look at what it says. He is the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit's role is to counsel you. But it's not to counsel you so you have the life you want. So that you can be a better engineer. So that you can be a better like business person and win more contracts. So that you can invest in the market better. That's not what the counselor does. The counselor comes to tell you the truth. And I don't know about you, but counselors that tell the truth bother me. Because I have one that lives in my home. She's very good about counseling me in the truth. And it bugs me. And then I get thankful for it later. <laughs> But we need people that will tell us the truth. We live in a world that, that we have no idea what's true anymore. We are scrambling around wondering what's true and looking. You ready for this? We are not looking for what's true. You got to admit this. I got to admit this to myself. Day after day, I am not listening for what's true. I'm not looking for what's true. Tune in. I'm looking for what works. Let me say that again. I'm not looking for what's true. I'm looking for what works. And I will find any article any science journal, any Bible verse I can find that will help me do what works and maybe hopefully it's true. Because if it works, it must be true. No, it may not be true. Satan loves to make things work for his benefit because he wants to be a God. And God says, it's the truth. And then he says, look, the world is unable to receive him. That's what I just said a minute ago, because he doesn't, because it doesn't see him or know him. The world hasn't trusted me, so they can't see the Holy Spirit. They don't understand that it's the Holy Spirit that's giving the general revelation of safety we have on the earth. It's the Holy Spirit that's keeping things from going crazy on us. He says, but you do know. Let me ask you, do you know? Have you trusted in Jesus? Do you know that there's a Holy Spirit? That Jesus is sent to be a counselor to you? He remains with you and will be in you. This would have scared the bejeebers out of the disciples when he said the Holy Spirit who lives in the Shekinah glory, Holy of Holies, was going to live inside of them. They would have been like, I don't want that because I'll be dead. But see, that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you surrender your life and say, I'm done, which we'll look at in just a second. And Jesus says, I will give you a new life. But you don't get the option of not dying. That's not an option. And if you won't die now for Jesus, you'll have to stand before him one day dead and die a second death for eternity, the Bible says. And so he lays this out and he says, look at this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I'm coming to you. In John 16, a couple of chapters later, Jesus says this, when the spirit of truth comes, we just read that he reveals the truth, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own. We've got people that run around who are Christians speaking off the cuff on their own all the time. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own. He speaks what Jesus spoke and what Jesus asked him to speak. He is completely in submission as the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They all submit to one another for the glory of the Godhead. It's a beautiful picture. And he says... He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. That's why you have that Bible. is because the Holy Spirit, and the reason you can understand that Bible when you read it, is because the Holy Spirit's helping you understand what's coming. That Jesus is coming again. That there is a new heaven and a new earth. There is a real hell and there is punishment. He's trying to, when you're in your mess, whatever mess you're in, he's trying to say, don't react. Trust me, walk through this. I know it's hard. It'll be worth it in 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. And if you still don't think it'll be worth it in 50 years, I can promise you it'll be worth it for eternity. Just trust me. He goes on and he says, he will glorify me. This is critical. The Holy Spirit calls us to trust who? Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not glorify itself. It's not running around saying, hey, this Holy Spirit's here. I'm here. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at my signs and wonders. That is not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is always saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And then Jesus says, look at the Father. Look at the Father. Look at the Father. It is the most beautiful family you could ever be a part of. Nobody's like trying to get the credit. They're all like, we all, it's all us. It's unbelievable. It's just mutual encouragement for all of eternity. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And it says, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. In other words, it's a great dad. The dad's like, I can fully trust you, son. It's all yours. And then Jesus says, Holy Spirit, it's all yours because I can trust you to bring it back. It's this beautiful picture. And then it says, this is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and he declares it to you. A little, a little while and you will no longer see me again. Again, a little while and you will see me. The disciples were very confused by that last statement. You want to know why? They didn't believe the Messiah was going to die. If the one who's supposed to save us from the Romans dies, how do we get saved? And Jesus is like, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to go away for a while, but I'm going to come back. And if I don't come back, you can trust me that if you die, you'll be with me. Every Christian since this statement has had to trust that Jesus is going to do the you will see me <laughs> again someday. The disciples had to trust. Another role of the Holy Spirit says so that, so when they had come together, the disciples were gathered together, they asked Jesus, this was after he was resurrected, after he proved that he was God, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Look, they're focused on earthly kingdom. Their focus is on, can we trust you? Because we're getting ready to die if we do what you want us to do. We just want to know that it's worth it. And Jesus' answer to them is not very encouraging. 
It says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by your own authority. If there is a Christian book on the bookshelf that's talking about end times and stuff that's going to happen and they claim to know stuff, throw it away, please. It doesn't mean you can't read Revelation and think about what's to come and worship Jesus. Most of those books do not lead you to worship. They lead you to some kind of system that you're supposed to go out and preach. Just preach Jesus. Jesus said, you will not know the times. That's not, just because you know stuff doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit. Just because you know stuff and it comes true doesn't mean you know the Holy Spirit. Satan knows how to know stuff and predict stuff and it comes true. He's really good because he's been watching you so long. He knows if he puts you in the right situation, you're probably going to make this decision if you don't have help. He's been practicing for thousands and thousands of years on humans. You can do the same to your kids, right? You ever done this with your kids? Put a cookie out on the table and say, hey, there's a cookie there. It's for you. You can have it, but don't touch it. I'm going to be gone all day. And see if the cookie's still there when you get home. Or maybe just one bite out of the cookie, right? It's the same thing. And so here you have it. And look at what he says. Quit trying to figure out what's going on and what's going to happen. He said, but if you want to know if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's has come on you. Of course I will. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for power to beat people up, to heal people, to make stuff happen, to zap things and lightning bolts come down and change people's hearts because they won't change. And That's what I'm looking to do. He goes, no, 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 no. You will have the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power that you're going to have is to do what Jay did when he came up here and spoke to you all and what Last week, Luke did, and what Destiny's getting ready to do. He says, I will give you the truth so that you can share the truth with someone else. That's what I'll do for you. If I choose to do a miracle or do something, that's crazy because that doesn't happen very often in Scripture. We read the Scriptures and see all these miracles, and you realize there are like hundreds and hundreds of years gaps between miracles in the Bible. <laughs> there were lifetimes where they saw no miracles in that section of like human history. The key is, if you have the Holy Spirit, are you ready for this? If you have the Holy Spirit, you can't contain it. You can't stop talking about who you're trusting. You can't stop talking that when the world's flying off the handle and everybody's scared of COVID and dying and everybody's fearful of the economy's going to crash and what are we going to do? You're the person saying, I'm just going to trust Jesus. That's what I've been doing. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to do one more day of simple and then another day and another day. And I'm just going to believe that as I do that, he's going to work and he's going to change lives. And that's how he changes a nation. God started with one man to change an entire world. It was Abraham. Said this a few weeks ago. Over a third of the world's population traces their faith back to one man. And God said, I'll make your numbers as numerous as the seashores and the sands or the sands on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. And God's done it, and he continues to do it. Because you can trust him. So what could he do with you? If you surrender to Jesus, if you trust Jesus, if you allow the Holy Spirit to have control, if you got serious about knowing the Bible and the truth that was there, and who God really was, and who he says you really are, and you got serious about going into that and then living it out, what could God do? goes on and says this in Romans. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. How is it God's mercy that I die? Listen, 
It's very merciful that God allows us time to die. Let me say that again. It's incredibly merciful that God allows us time to die because we don't deserve to have time to die. We deserve to be dead. We deserve to be dead for the sin and the mess and the selfishness and the pride and all the stuff and the way we manipulate. We deserve to be dead right now. And God has said, I'm going to give you time to learn to trust me. I'm going to give you time to repent before I come back and destroy. I'm going to give you a moment, a time. When Noah came and the flood hit, we look at that as sudden in the Old Testament. Noah and the flood, it flooded the earth. Noah had been building a boat for over a hundred years in the middle of a desert. And everybody for a hundred years being like, <laughs> dummy, <laughs> building a boat in a desert. And it's not even a real boat. You can't even like steer it. There's no rudder. It's just a box. It's going to like, what is that? And it's massive. What a waste of materials and resources. Right? And then all of a sudden the animals start showing up. I'm like, well, that's weird. There's all these animals coming and getting on this boat. Well, I don't know why. Maybe Noah's a great, I mean, maybe Noah's a great zookeeper. He learns zoology in his free time. I don't know. God gave people a hundred, over a hundred years of warning that a flood was coming and the guy who knows me is simply every day getting up and putting another nail in another board. And the next day, putting another nail in another board. And he's asking his sons and making his sons work with him and saying, come on boys, it's time to put another nail in the, okay, here we go, pick that up. For over a hundred years? And you're upset and I'm upset that I got to live for 50 for Jesus? And then the flood hits. And Noah, the, the, the door is down. The animals are on. Noah's family's on. And you could probably hear the screams and people running to the boat, right? Knowing that the sacrifice is here. And by the mercy of God, God shut the door on Noah so he couldn't let the sin in. To the ark because it said that God shut the door Noah didn't even have a way to shut the door think about that for a minute he built a boat and trusted God to shut the giant door on the boat that would fill with water because he didn't have a way to shut the door I mean can you imagine being like God do you want me to build some ropes to shut the door nope just trust me build a boat leave a big hole in the side I'll take care of it that's nuts and Noah did it because he was led by the Holy Spirit. And look at this, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Everybody wants some crazy kind of worship service. We want to do something that shows off. God's like, your spiritual act of worship is just living as a sacrifice, laying your life down every day for God and others. That's what real worship is. And do you know how much credit we give in our culture to those types of people? Almost zero. Almost zero we give credit to those who have been faithful day after day, year after year, but they haven't had the results that the guys we love to buy the books and the music from have. Our saints that have lived for God, my grandparents, Betty and Envy, people that have lived their lives, surrendered, living simple lives, making Jesus known, and they come to the end and there's not much left, and people are like, oh, see, don't live like that. Don't do that. You... You want to have a retirement village in Florida and you want all this stuff. Baloney. 
I'm not saying any of that's evil or wrong. I just want to be found faithful when I come to the end. I want my grandchildren to talk about me like I talk about my grandfather and his faithfulness. I want to share the gospel like I did with someone this week using his story of how he served his community and laid down his life. That's what I want. I want, to, I want people to see how great it is to give your life and trust him. It goes on, says this in Hebrews, it says, think sensibly then. Or I'm sorry, it says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, look at this, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. See, it's real easy when you're being a living sacrifice to do this. You ready? <laughs> I'm a living sacrifice. Look at me burn, baby. I'm awesome. I mean, I, I'm really good at being a sacrifice. We start getting prideful about measuring up. Look at how much I've sacrificed compared to them. A living sacrifice doesn't have an opinion. They're just dying. <laughs> They're just like, here I am, surrendered. So don't think too highly of yourself. Why? Look, think sensibly because as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one, that's through the Holy Spirit, now as we have many parts in one body, that's the body of Christ, the believers, and all the parts do not have the same function, so in the same way, we who are many form one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, you get on the altar as a living sacrifice and God brings all the sacrifices to the altar together and all of us give our lives together for the glory of God and the good of his church. That's the beauty of the gospel. And why does that make sense when you think, well, that doesn't make any sense to give your life to Because that's what Jesus did. Ephesians 5 says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. See, we don't believe the days are evil. We believe that the days are good. No, the Bible says that the days are evil and our job is to redeem them, to make them good, to give them glory, to give them back to God. So don't be foolish, the Bible says. It's easy to be a fool. But understand what the Lord's will is. If you're going to understand what the Lord's will is, where is the Lord's will contained? Anybody? Where is the Lord's will contained? In the Constitution? The Bible, thank you. His Word. And I'm always amazed at how when I will take people to the Word of God, they will argue with it. When you counsel with them and say, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, yeah, but let me show you a verse I found. Well, hold on. What about this one that I showed you? We haven't dealt with that one yet. <laughs> goes on, he says, so don't be foolish and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. In other words, don't be controlled by something that's worthless that just leads to bigger messes, but, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a continual filling is what the Greek means there. It's a continually built, being filled. Why? Because you're paying careful attention. Why? Because you're trying to make the most of what God's giving you. Why? So that you don't look like a fool, but you live wise according to God. Why? It goes all the way down through this. So how do you know if you're filled? How do you know if you're not just trusting in a salvation for signs and wonders and all those things that Hebrews talked about? How do you know if you're really trusting and you're walking with God? Well, do you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? 
Do you make music from your heart to the Lord? I mean, you may not be able to make much music because you don't have a musical gift in your body, but do you make it in your heart? He goes on, he says, do you give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you give credit to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he is your Savior? Do you give credit for everything, not just the good stuff, all of it? And then he goes on and he says, do you submit to one another in the fear of Christ or are you always looking to be right? Are you willing to submit your will to others? And then he gets real specific and he says like, I don't know, wives and husbands? Are you willing to submit like, I don't know, the way children and parents should submit? Are you willing to, to trust me if you submit as a slave and a master or trust me if you're a soldier going to war? Because that's what Ephesians 5 spells out in those relationships. Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, here's what it's going to look like. And then we read those verses and go, ooh, I I don't want to look like that. I I don't want to be a husband that has to die for a woman that may not like me very much sometimes. Oh, by the way, that's what Jesus is doing for you today. And it's what he's doing for his entire church worldwide. The church doesn't do a very good job of obeying Jesus. The church doesn't do a very good job of listening to Jesus. And Jesus is continually giving his life withholding his wrath so that more people have time to repent. And he calls us to do that as children, as wives, as husbands, as soldiers in a war. Not that we're supposed to go out and slay people. No, we're supposed to take our stand. We looked at a few weeks ago. And we're supposed to trust him. You see, most people want the Holy Spirit so they can show off. They do not want the Holy Spirit so they can consistently show up. Let me say it again. Most people want the Holy Spirit so they can show off. They do not want the Holy Spirit to make them consistently show up. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict God's people so they consistently show up. That's Rosh Hashanah. They blew the shofar all over the nation. You heard it. You knew it was the new year, and it was time to show up and repent. It was time to trust God for his forgiveness for you. It was time for you to get excited about building a booth that you got to meet with God in. It was the call to the nation to repent and to show up, not show off. In Hebrews 2, he goes on, he says this, for he has not subjected angels to the world to come that we are talking about. But one has somewhere testified, what is, a, or what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject or submissive to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, which is what Jesus told his disciples earlier. I'm going to go away, you'll see me again. See, this passage is talking about Jesus. It's talking about the fact that he is not subjected to the the angels. The angels have already made their decision. There's a world that's coming that that we've got to face. And he says, but somewhere someone has testified, what is man that you remember him? Can can we believe that God will remember us at our worst moments? Can we believe that when we're on the sacrifice, when we're on the altar, when we're being shredded for our faith, can we actually trust God to show up for us and remember us? Let me think. When God was allowing his son to be shredded on our behalf and dying on a cross, do you think God forgot his son? 
didn't. God raised his son from the dead. And he'll raise you from whatever death you're in. It may not be in this side of the eternity, but he'll do it forever. And it says you made him a little bit lower for a short time. In other words, Jesus took on the form of a man. He had power beyond the angels and he subjected himself. The Bible says he emptied himself of his rights to deity when he took on human form so that he could show us how to subject ourselves, how to be servants, how to live. And humanity's been rejecting that message ever since because we don't want to live that kind of a life. We want the power. We want the show-off stuff. And Jesus is like, I just came and lived like 18 years in Nazareth from age 12 to 30, started a ministry and died three and a third years later. That doesn't seem very successful to me from an earthly standpoint. The issue is he came back to life to prove that he was God and he said he's going to come again. And that's important. And everything has been subjected because of what Christ done. Do you realize our country came because we threw off being a royal subject? The founding of our country, we said, we no longer want to be royal subjects. You can argue whether that was right or wrong. God uses all kinds of stuff. God uses all kinds of stupid in my life. He uses all kinds of good. I'm not arguing whether it was right or wrong or any of that kind of stuff. I'm grateful for the country I live in. I'm grateful that we have Christian principles that gird us and have founded us. We're moving away from those principles and we're watching it go crazy and haywire because we're not listening to the spirit of truth anymore. We're just making up our truth however we want to make it up. So we should expect judgment. But let's just be honest. We founded our country by throwing off the responsibility of being a royal subject to another country. And that is a curse we continue to live with. So it's hard then when you look at people and say, are you willing to surrender yourself to be a subject of the kingdom of heaven and empty yourself of the rights of a U.S. citizen so that you can make the gospel known to others? That just seems so weird to us. Because it's not our DNA. It's not our background. Do you realize that most of the Afghanistan church was martyred last week? Most of the... Christians in Afghanistan were slaughtered last week for their faith. And the stories that came out of Afghanistan were them holding hands, obeying Ephesians 5, and singing at the top of their lungs so the Taliban knew where they were at. Because they already knew they had their names and they were coming for them. And we might as well just worship. And they sat with their small children together holding hands, Singing to God, believing, believing and trusting in him that there's something more than the Americans saving Afghanistan. There's something more than Islam. There's something more than having a good life and a white picket fence and a house. And we're going to sing about it. And it's going to cost us our lives. And almost all of the church in Afghanistan was slaughtered last week. Broke my heart. I wept Thursday morning. Just wept. Thinking about those children and people, thinking and then also weeping in joy because they sang. They praised God. They didn't back down. They didn't try to find a way around it. They believed the gospel. They believed what this author in Hebrews was trying to tell them about who Jesus was. That it's the already but not yet. You're already saved. You're already blessed. Just not fully yet. And they knew it. Oh, and by the way, There's a lot of American citizens and a lot of Afghans who have American citizenship who stayed in the country and they're not coming home. Do you want to know why? Because they're Christians and they're laying down their life for their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're missionaries that aren't leaving. 
And we want to get every American out, and they're Americans saying, I don't want out. I've been given the responsibility to be a subject of a different kingdom and to a different citizenship. And while I'm grateful that you would get me out, I don't want out. It goes on and it says this in Hebrews. And he says, but we, but we do see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering in death. Can I just tell you, that's exactly what the church in Afghanistan did. They saw Jesus. They didn't see a future for their lives. They didn't see a future for their country because there wasn't one. All they did was put their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. And they realized that, you know what? It's only for a short time. They can only kill me so long. They can only torture me so long before I die. It's just so short compared to eternity and compared to an entire lifetime. I can endure it. You want to know why I can endure it? Because I have a God that endured it on my behalf and he asked me to do it to show those that hate and kill that there's still a God that even loves them. By the way, the apostle Paul came to Jesus because he was killing Christians and God got a hold of his heart through that. It was the apostle Paul who was holding the coats so they could stone the first martyr of the church, Stephen, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. It says, Saul stood and hold, held their coats while they slaughtered Stephen. And it said that ho- heaven opened up and Stephen saw Jesus. Goes on in Hebrews and says this, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples... I'm sorry, in Matthew it says, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Look at this. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is what we do so often to people who try to really truly walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and obey God. We try to take him aside and tell him, now don't get too spiritual crazy on us here. I mean, we don't want to look like crazy people. Like, here's my version of Christianity. I want you to do this version. Don't don't go too far. Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but your own and man's concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, he must. Okay, pause. Pause. Must is a strong word in the Bible. So so if I'm going to go with Jesus, if I'm going to be with Jesus, if I'm going to trust him and walk with him, like this author's trying to get the Hebrew Christians who are keep going back to Judaism, trying to save them by doing all the law, and God's like, don't do that. I've saved you, just trust me. Quit going back and trying to do the works. Trust me. He must deny himself. I don't like to deny myself. (laughs) I like to bless myself with the blessings that I think are blessings. And I like to call them blessings and say that was a blessing. And if you tell me you should deny yourself, I'll try to convince you that what I'm doing is a blessing. Because I've already decided I'm not going to deny myself. Take up his cross. I've said this before. There's a part of me, just for shock factor, I've never done it, but there's a part of me that would love to wear a electric chair necklace 
around my neck. You know, people wear crosses. I would love to wear an, an electric chair, like with a little hoodie that goes on top, on, on my neck and wear that around all the time. Because the cross has lost all of its meaning in this culture. A cross means you're going to die. If someone sees an electric chair on your neck, they're like, what in the world is that? You're like, well, I'm dying. I'm heading to death. This is my electric chair, and i got to pick it up and go. Dude, you're weird. We're done with you. Like, have a nice life, you know? That's what a cross is. It's the symbol that I'm going to be like my Lord. I'm going to do as he did. I'm not going to try to get killed. It's not like I'm running around saying, give me a cross so I can show off. No! It's just I know that it's coming. I know death is coming. I know I'm not getting out. And he says, and follow me. By the way, he's leading us to die to ourselves so that we can live for him and live for others. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. And the first reward, there are two judgments in Revelation. The first judgment is, do you know me? And the reward is enter my rest if you know me and if you don't know me you are you are sent to eternal darkness forever the second judgment is the reward of what we've done and you get to see all that you stored up for God's glory not for your pleasure it's not like you're sending things ahead so you can get to heaven and go that's mine that's mine that's mine look what I did hey quit playing with that that's mine that is not going to happen in heaven (laughs) It's all his, and you're going to look and go, wow, that all mattered? That all counted? I I sent all that to you, and you used it, and you're blessing all these people with it? I got to be a part of that? Wow. Yeah. Isn't that a great reward, Matt? Yeah, it's a great reward. That's awesome. He goes on and says this as we wrap up in Hebrews. It says, "For for in bringing many sons to glory... It was entirely appropriate that God, all things exist for him and through him, should make the source of their salvation, look at this, perfect through suffering. There is no way to purify anything on this earth without making the thing you're purifying suffer. H2O has to suffer to get purified. It has to be boiled. To purify something means that you have to add something to it, do something to it so that it's different, that it's safe. And then we look at what Christ did and that's why he had to do what he did. He had to show us that everything in this world is going to perish. Nothing in this world is pure without him. So he had to purify the flesh he lived in, die on our behalf, take the penalty in our place so that we would understand that I don't have to, but I'm willing to. Then he goes on, he says, for the one who sacrifices and those who are, or the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, we have a dad that keeps looking at us. Are you ready for this? And saying, Matt, I love you. You need to go out and serve. Matt, I love you. You need, you need to become more holy. You need to be more like me. Go out and serve. Matt, I love you. It's time for you to give more of your life up so that you can serve others. Matt, I love you. I've given enough up. I've done enough. No, no. You don't understand. You have everything already in heaven. I'm not asking you to give anything up. I'm just asking you to send it ahead. That's the story of our book. 
And he says, look at this. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call anyone who calls on him a brother. That we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ, not because it's some kind of crazy term, but it's like, oh my goodness, we have a heavenly father and we have a brother who gave his life, his son, and we've been adopted into his family and I just want to please the father. I, I want to live like this family lives, not like all the other families live. And then he goes on, he says, look at this, look at what it says. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation, and again, I will trust him. What were those filled with the Holy Spirit doing in Ephesians? Singing. They were joyful. They were thankful. What were our Afghan brothers and sisters doing? They were singing. They were joyful because they knew the truth and they were trusting in Jesus. Again, I will trust him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, that's Jesus' flesh and blood, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Are you held in slavery? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? Dying. Give it over to him. Trust him with it. Say, it's yours now. I surrender it to you. I'll live how you want me to live. I don't have to have it the way I want it. It's yours because you have the power to take what I see as dead and actually make it alive again. And so I'm going to trust you with the dead stuff. And he says he'll take those that have been held in slavery because of that fear and make them alive. And then he says, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. He's reminding these Hebrews, he's reminding believers that if you are my child, if you have surrendered to me and I have adopted you because of your willingness to, to surrender to me and believe that I am who I say I am, you are my offspring. I will not abandon you. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. You see, we, are you ready for this? You are tested because you're loved. See, tests, are you ready for this? Tests help us find out who we are, what we are, where we are, so that we might move forward. That's what a test does. A test says, here's what you know. Here's what you don't know. Now here's, let's move forward. That's what a test does. And it's very loving to give people tests so that they can be encouraged by what they know and they can see what they don't know and they can get help from people who know what they don't know. That's called the church. And that's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing in our midst. And it says Jesus modeled this. He was the faithful high priest that died on our behalf so we don't have to. As we wrap up, I leave you with our theme verse. Therefore, remember, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it's there for a reason. <laughs> for two chapters, the author has been laying out the deity of Christ, talking about who Jesus is. He's been laying it down, one thing after another thing, proving to the Hebrews who are, who are struggling with, was Jesus really the Messiah? Because he's not bringing back Israel. He's not bringing back the Israeli kingdom. He's not doing what we thought he would do as a Messiah and a Savior. We're waiting for the shofar to be blown so that we can just march into Jerusalem and take over. 
We're not sure if we really believe he's the Messiah anymore. And this author has been writing and saying, think about this. Think about who he is. Look at these scriptures. By the way, if you go back in your Bible, and if you have a study Bible and look, most of what we looked at this morning was Psalms, Isaiah, and a couple of other passages from the Old Testament that the the guy writing Hebrews directly quoted, saying, just like it's in the old, it's in the new, and it's coming again. And he says, therefore, look at this word, Holy brothers, how holy do you feel today? I know what I did yesterday. I know how impatient I was. I know what my wife said to me when I yelled at the referee on the soccer field yesterday. When she said, Matt, go to the car if you're going to say stuff like that. I'm like, I just don't want somebody to get hurt. She's like, yeah, but there's a different way to approach it. I'm like, you're right. So I got up on my seat, and I just stood behind her, and I just was quiet. And to distract myself, I got in a spiritual conversation with someone. It's so helpful. <laughs> and sure enough, we had multiple kids get hurt in that game. It was awful. The refs were terrible. But you know what? I'm not trusting in the refs. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in a Savior. And he calls you, and he calls me holy. Not because we act that way, but because he has gone in and made us holy and purified us. And he wants us to be reminded that you're striving for something. You're striving to be holy. And he says, and companions. He says, you can walk with me. And look at this. He says, in a heavenly calling. You're being called to someplace else. You're you're being called to something beyond. Our Afghan brothers and sisters in Christ knew this. They believed they were holy. They believed they could sing. They believed that they had the companion of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They knew they had the companionship of their brothers and sisters around the world praying for them. And they said, we are going to our heavenly calling with our children, with our family. Here we go. Because they considered Jesus and said he is who he says he is and he's worthy of our lives. Let me ask you this morning. What are you having problems trusting Jesus with in your life? Maybe you're not like the Afghan Christians where it's like staring you in the face. Guns are coming for you and your children. But what areas of your life are you struggling to really trust him? What season are you in? What sins, what problems? Can I just tell you? He says, I want to, you're holy to me. You're my brother. I want to help you. I I want the body of Christ to help you. Confess your sins one to another, the Bible says, so that we can encourage one another. He says, consider what Jesus has done for you, that he came from heaven to earth, became a man, lived a simple life, died on a cross, and then ascended, rose and ascended and said, I'm coming again. Consider that Rosh Hashanah is coming. The trumpets are going to blow. He's going to come back, and he will love you if you know him. Because you're his family. Because of what he did for you and he adopted you. Not what you did for yourself because you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't be holy. Only God can make people holy. You can't measure the scales. It's impossible. And God says, I'll do it for you. Just surrender to me. Just trust me. Give me your full attention. and Keep your eyes focused and see if I don't do something that'll be miraculous. It may not look like a miracle to the world, 
but I guarantee it will in heaven when the angels rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the author of Hebrews that was writing to believers, and there are many of us in this room who are believers. We believe in you. We have said that you are the Messiah, the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament and the one that will come again. But Lord, this morning, the reality is there are things that you're constantly, because you love us, you test us, because you want us to trust you more. You want us to see how great you are, and you want us to see how great you can make us to be like you. Father, I pray that if anyone here is struggling to really trust you this morning, that they would. They would surrender. They would finally say, I'm done. I give up. I'm again going to trust I'm going to place my faith. If there's someone here struggling with that trust, I pray that if they're not ready to make that decision this morning to surrender to you, that at least they'll give you some attention this week. That they'll start to read their Bible, maybe talk to some Christians, maybe try to get some questions they they struggle with answered. That they'll be honest about their own selfishness in their hearts and they'll kind of ask you who you are and you'll show them. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would pause and remember that you call us brethren. We are your body, the church. We are your people. Help us to trust you. Help us to to trust one another. Help us to repent when we break that trust in the body of Christ. And Father, would you go before us and change our hearts and would you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit because it's through that power and through the word that's revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit in the Bible that we learn what trust really looks like. And so help us trust you, we pray. Amen.